Before I, before I get into to anything this morning, I want to quickly talk about uh, a concept called integration. I feel like it's really, really important to um, address what I believe and what experts believe are one of the core competencies for character growth. It's called integration. And in, and in difficult times, it's hard to integrate. When you're struggling with um, political unrest, uh, pandemics, issues with family, issues at church, uh, we tend to sort of slide all the way to the side of everything is bad, right? And we have a difficulty with integrating the good and the bad together. And the bad tends to overwhelm and overload our minds, right? We get stuck there. Now, it's perfectly fine to process the emotions of what those bad things bring up in your life, right? We've talked before. Emotions are like taking your kids on vacation. You don't let them drive. Make sure you don't let them drive. But you also don't put them in the trunk, right? So, so, the, so the understanding is, so the understanding is, is that when you're, when you're feeling these difficult things, when you're walking through difficult things, it's okay to integrate the bad and the good together and sort of walk in that balanced life. And if you're having trouble doing that, talk to somebody about it. If you're struggling with the bad and, and integrating the good with the bad, talk to somebody about it. Come here, talk to us, talk to, talk to somebody in your family. Hey, I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that. But the idea is when we fail to integrate, those bad things can take us down a road where we end up building up resentments for people who aren't doing things that we think they should be doing. We begin to think negative thoughts about the community that we're in. We begin to get to a place where we're not thinking clearly about how all things work together for the common good for those who love God and are called according to his good purposes. Does that make sense? I wanted to lay that foundation before I jump into this morning's message because we're going to talk a little bit about some of that. We're going we're to delve into a little bit of brain science, but we're going to get into the word, I promise you. So let's just pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that your presence would be here, that Lord, we would hear from you. That, God, we would walk out of here with a little bit more than we walked in with. And we'd be ready to use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Stan, I love that word that you gave that we need to equip the body to love well. And, you know, we've, we've been talking a lot about emotionally healthy spirituality. And the reality of that program, that process is that we're learning how to love God and we're learning how to love others. For so long in the church, we, we have, have sort of hyper-spiritualized love for others and just say, well, if I'm in a relationship with Jesus, then I'm just gonna naturally love other people. But that's not always the case because life gets in the way and, and we, we get to a place where we think we're loving people, but we're not. And the skills that we refuse to learn because that's the way we've always done it get in the way of our loving other people. And so I believe with all my heart that Jesus wants us to grow and become better lovers of other people. There are certain skills that we can learn. And so this morning I'm gonna teach you guys one. But first I wanna read out of Exodus chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 3. Let me pull up my um, handy-dandy notebook. Just kidding. It says, um, Exodus 16, 1 through 3. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that he had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt 
when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, and you have brought us out here into the wilderness to kill the whole of us. John chapter 6, verse 15. It says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. It'll make sense in a second. The kingdom of me, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. God's will is what I believe it to be. After all, he spoke to me. How many have ever felt that? Yeah. The thought behind the thought is we think God is going to do things a certain way and that way rarely is the way of suffering. All right? When we're when we're thinking and praying and we're, we're asking God to move in our lives and asking God to give us a clear vision, asking God to be present, how many of you say, Lord, please let that way include lots and lots of suffering? In Jesus' name. We'd be hard-pressed to, to say that. Kingdom of Me, chapter 1, verse 2, says... It makes no sense that others would not see things the way I see things. The thought behind the thought. We expect those around us to act and interact with us in a certain way. We expect it. The last time you had an argument with your spouse or your coworker or friend, is it at least possible that the argument had something to do with that individual not living up to an expectation that you had? We're conditioned by society to be expectors. Our sin nature demands that we are expectors. And we're very, very good at it. Expecting things from other people, expecting people to know, expecting people to do certain things that we would think that they would do comes natural to us. But the reality is, and get ready, expectations ruin relationships. Expectations ruin relationships. Relationships. It's, it's in giant red words here. <laughs> Expectations ruin relationships. Sorry, right, so let's talk about some brain science, okay? Can we, can we do that for a second? Because this is a heavy topic. And, and listen, we, we run through life having certain things like, like come on. There's certain things when you're in a, a relationship with your spouse and you're just like, I expect. Can't I just expect them to, to know that? I mean, how many can just, without raising your hand, if you're sitting next to your spouse, just say that they should just know that? We've been married long enough. You should just know that. It should be an automatic for you. So the brain science I want to talk about, and, and don't get it twisted, don't get brain science twisted. God created the brain, right? And we have learned some things about the brain as humans. So we're just interpreting what we have discovered about the brain and how the brain works. And what I'm going to talk about this morning is the idea of attention. Pay attention. When I was a little kid, I heard the words pay attention all the time. And I was completely unaware that I could not pay attention. I escaped from my kindergarten class more than once with a pair of dull scissors to cut my hair. I wanted to be in everybody else's space. I don't even know that they knew about attention deficit back then. All I know is that I could hardly sit still. So there are different types of attention. 
The first one is passive attention. And, and what this is, is things or stimuli that stand out from your environment and reach your attention without you intentionally reaching out for them. I'll give you an example. I was listening to my favorite Spotify channel the other day, and it's the 80s. Uh, I don't know if anybody grew up in Los Angeles, but Richard Blade, K-Rock, K-R-O-Q, right? 80s Richard Blade, he has a huge playlist of 80s alternative music, and that's just one of my favorite Spotify stations. And there's one particular song by a group called The Alarm. Is anybody with me? A group called The Alarm, and it's, and it's rain in the summertime. And as soon as that song came on, listen, I was on Florence Avenue. I was in my 66 Mustang. I was wearing my Letterman jacket, and I was on my way to Brenda's house. So that passive attention took me right to that moment. When I was on a walk a couple weeks ago, probably a couple months ago, because I don't know, does any, is anybody familiar with, with when jasmine, does jasmine bloom really quickly and then go away? Super frustrating, love that smell. So I'm on a walk, and, and there's, a, there's a house not too far from here, and their whole front yard is jasmine, and as I was reaching the, reaching the corner, I hadn't seen their yard, and you could just smell the jasmine. And you know where it put me? It put me on soaring over California at Disneyland, right? When you're, when, you're, when you're soaring over, or soaring over the world, sorry, so I was soaring over India in the, uh, in the ride. I'm like, oh, Disney. I love Disney, right? So my passive attention was awakened in that moment just by something that I, that I smelled. So, so that is passive attention, a smell, a noise, a song, a taste, a movie quote. Anytime someone says creak, like a, like a running water creek, I have to go down by the creek, walking on water from Tombstone. Anybody? I just have to say it. It catches my attention. Creek. Or, or watch a eel creek. He was telling Turkey Creek Jack Johnson that his ear had been shot. Somebody give me an amen there. <laughs> this is just the world that I live in, right? So this passive attention is something that we're always experiencing, but we're not intentional about it. Then, then there's active attention. Stimuli that reaches your attention because you're focusing on them voluntarily like listening to this message for some of you, right? <laughs> Not all of you. Then there's selective attention, focusing on some stimuli over others intentionally, drowning things out, intentionally not paying attention to things and intentionally paying attention to certain things. For me, that's studying. When I'm studying, I have to drown out all the sounds for me, studying is really difficult. I have to set a 30-minute timer, and I have to put on a very specific Spotify playlist that has no words and no music that I recognize, because if I recognize the song, I'll start humming it and singing the lyrics, and then I'm, and then I'm out. So I have to listen to music that has no rhyme or reason, and I set a timer, and for those 30 minutes, I focus on the words on the page, I focus on, if I'm not listening to music, the lecture. But then I give myself a break because I can't go more than 30 minutes without wandering off. How many of you guys don't deal with that in your, like your prayer life? Or, or just, you know, you're trying to pay attention. Or, or maybe you're having a long conversation with somebody and, you're, and, and you start to think in your, in your mind, this conversation is going really, really long. And I'm, I want to be interested and I, I really want to pay attention. But... I just saw something go by, and I want to move on with it, right? And so you try so hard. And may, or maybe you look at them, and you're like, yeah, uh-huh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're not, you're not listening. You're not listening. So selective attention. Then we have what's called divided attention. Divided attention. This is the guy that you're behind on the freeway, and he's going 48 miles per hour in a 65 and you're like, what in the world is this dude's issue? And so you go around him very angrily. I don't do that. You do. You go around him very angrily. 
And you look over, and what does he have in his hand? His cell phone. Yeah, bro, 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 there is what I really want to talk about, and there's a loss of attention. A loss of attention. This is the inability to focus on things that really need our attention. Can anybody relate? And it comes in, in a couple different ways. One way is external distractions, our environment, the world around us, things that aren't inside kids, spouse, the job, school, whatever it may be. They're distractions that come at you seemingly like 90 miles an hour and all the time. And I wonder sometimes if they're not intentional to just get us off track. And then there are the internal distractions, the distractions that just grab a hold of our mind without us even realizing it, and then you're, you're, you're seven minutes down the road into an internal distraction before you even realize you've been distracted. And these things come in the form of family troubles. Kids, spouse, the crazy uncle that all he wants to do is talk about politics. Maybe a death in the family. I want to share real quick this week. I, I, I'm, I'm uh, attending Concordia University, Townsend Institute. Uh, at the end of next year, I'll graduate with a, with a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling. And so the, the course that I'm currently in is the foundations and, and uh, foundations of group therapy. And one of the assignments in, in this class is to attend an actual group and then write about it. And, and so I thought, man, I just, I don't want to attend a group just to attend it. I want to find one that will be helpful to, to maybe some of my issues. So um, those of you, I'm sure by now everybody knows, my, my brother committed suicide 25 years ago. Um, and I've talked about grief and, and how um, when, those, when those feelings come back up, it's just as painful as it was the day that it happened, right? And it's just those, th those times are fewer and far between. So, so I attended a uh, survivors of suicide group. And I was a hot mess. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that. You see, I've, I've learned the art of distraction when it comes to those feelings. I've learned how to distract myself from those feelings. But what I realized when I attended that group is there's still some more stuff I need to process. And it was heavy. And it was hard. And at the end, the group leader thanked me for attending. So I go, Kevin's new, and thank him for attending. Is there anything more you want to say? And I just found myself saying, no. I, I, can't, I can't do any more in the moment. So distraction. Uh, an overwhelming job, school, or social task. Everything suddenly changes in your life. Global pandemics, political unrest. The expectations of others. It's a big one. Because we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what expectations other people have of us. Because we want to be present for them. We want to fulfill whatever thoughts they may have of us, but we don't know what they are. Another external distraction is impatient people. Impatient people. Can I just hopefully give you permission to be set free this morning? You look around the world and you think, oh, it's just, it's, everything's so important and we just gotta be about God's business and it's got to be right now and if we don't then we're in trouble and uh, uh. God is not in a hurry 
The ancient writers were convinced it was coming. It's been thousands of years. God is not in a hurry, so neither should we. Stop. Take a step back. Take a deep breath. Connect with him, connect with others, because that's how they will know us, by how we love one another, not by how effective our evangelism strategy is. External distractions come in the form of a horrific diagnosis for you or for a loved one. How many of you, like me, have experienced something that you're so confused by, it came out of left field, you're like, I had no idea that was going to happen, and and there's not a lot of, of encouraging words from the doctors, and you're like, I guess this is it. But God, but God, you're... I have no words. It's a distraction. And it fills your mind. A job or a career ending. You get what I'm saying? And these things happen to all of us. And those individuals that you connect with throughout the week, the friends that you have here in church, the the men and the women that you connect with in in Bible studies and just connecting on the basketball court or or the person that you connect with at Starbucks or the person who is checking uh, your groceries at at Vons or Ralph's or, or the person that you're frustrated with in traffic, whoever, they are all dealing with stuff like this. Just like you are. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. But see, one of the problems we run into with that is we take a verse like that and then we automatically go to love your neighbor as yourself but some of you were so mad at yourself that it's hard for you to love your neighbor because you don't even love yourself. We love people around us at the level we love ourselves. You may need to take that home and ponder that. Because you may be living with so much guilt and disappointment and frustration about who you are, what you think is your core, and it makes it hard for you to love other people. And so we do what feels natural. We put on a happy face because we think that's what this is talking about. I love you. I'm saying these things because I love you. Right? And then we, we step back from it and maybe there's this feeling that you know is disingenuous. The act of service with no expectation in return is true selfless service, but it's hard. And it's a rare thing. So I bring that up to say, as we're talking about expectations, be careful that you do not attach expectations to the people that you are serving. So when I was raising kids, and I'm serving my children and raising them a certain way, I had certain expectations that as I serve them and love them a certain way, that they would grow and do certain things that were approved by me. (laughs) Right? I don't think I ever said it out loud, but I certainly felt it. And it it came out in, in the form of, ooh, I don't like that. Gee, I hope they don't do that. 
Boy, I hope that's just a phase. Ah. And I began to put expectations upon my children based on what I felt the life that I had given them warranted, right? Oftentimes, when our expectations are not met by people, we assume wrongdoing on their part. And then the relationship suffers. You see, no relationship can last and be healthy when one person is unwilling to serve the other at some point. All of us have been in situations where there's a relationship where it feels like it's just broken. There's just not relationship. There's just, there's something in between and you can't put your finger on it. You don't understand it. You're confused by it. The communication's not there. It's frustrating. You go away feeling angry. Uh, you, you, you maybe push that person away or whatever it may be. And at that moment, that relationship will end unless one of those people in that relationship decides supernaturally that they will serve the other person. And if that decision to serve the other person has expectations attached to it, that's called manipulation. And it will not work. Because when you serve them with an expectation and they don't meet that expectation, then what occurs in you, the person who set out to serve, is resentment. And that is the relationship killer. Jesus was so good at his boundaries. We, we heard this at a, at a sermon at our last convention. Even after all of the things that had happened and Jesus had resurrected, the disciples were still like, okay, so now we're going to take over, right? We're going to get back to that original decision. We're going to take over. We're going to end the oppression. That's the expectation. You missed it. Right? So here are a couple things. Be willing to do something out of your comfort zone to uplift someone else or their family. Be willing to sacrifice a bit of what's most important to you in order to serve others and demonstrate a servant's heart. You know, these are things we've heard before, but they're so hard in the context of difficulty. Be inconvenienced or interrupted to further the kingdom of God. Let God's interruptions enter up in you, right? We hate to be interrupted when we have a process and a plan and a, and a, and a specific place we're going. We hate to have that interrupted. Listening for God's voice rather than doing something out of obligation. Not only do we hold people to certain expectations, we also do things to meet the expectations of others or what we think those expectations are. Or what's worse, we get to a place where we stop having expectations because we've been disappointed so much. So here, here's, a, here's a crazy thing that I recently learned that the development stage of an infant is so critical and will directly affect this infant's adulthood even to the point of when, you know, we, we, we've heard this, oh, just let him cry it out. Just let him cry it out. Here's the thing. An infant is crying because there is a need. And so when an infant is crying and nobody meets the infant's needs, what does it do? It screams. We'll say, we'll say she. She screams. She freaks out. She flails about. The most dangerous piece of development in infancy is when an infant ceases to emote. When the infant stops crying, when the infant stops trying to get someone's attention, that means that it is in a place of internal decision making. And that's where narcissists and psychopaths are made. It's the same for us. It's the same for us. When we stop 
trusting that people are going to help us, when we stop believing that anybody around us even has our best interest in mind, and we start doing things based upon, well, if they're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to take care of business. It's my, I have to do everything. We begin to crush the relationships around us. We begin to judge the motives of people around us. And listen, there is a line in relationships, and the bottom line of that relationship graph is judging motive. And once you've judged the motive of the person that you're in relationship with, it's very difficult to get back up above that line. Once you've said in your mind, that person is doing that because of this, without confirming it, you have just gone to a place that's very difficult to return from. But see, it's easier to live disappointed than it is to experience disappointment again. Come on, let me say that again. You ready? It's easier to live disappointed or a state of disappointment than to experience disappointment. Because experiencing disappointment requires hope. Requires you to do the work of, I believe something can happen here. Living, disappoint, living disappointed has no hope. Nah, it's just the way people are. Life stinks. So our expectation then becomes waiting for the other shoe to drop or to be disappointed again. Now you say, Kevin, you say expectations ruin relationships. Yes, they do. And it's a bondage if we live in a, in a world where we don't clarify our expectations. When we live in a world where we just hope and think that everybody will get what we need and understand what we need. So let me get to appreciation versus expectation. Do you appreciate it when someone thanks you or waves when you let them into traffic? Do we appreciate that? We do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, do you drive around expecting them to do it? Because I know I do sometimes. I know I do. I need to get over. Let me over. Let me over. Let me. You jerk. Let me in. Do you not see that I need to get in? It, oh, it makes me so mad. So, so here's what I want to do for the next couple minutes is I want to, I think I've established enough that there is a bondage that we live in and that is, that is having expectations that we create in our mind of other people. We, we create this world where they should just know. We we, we, and, and we begin to judge them based upon what they do or don't do in our lives. We, we begin to formulate entire um, philosophies of life based upon what we think people should or shouldn't do. And we just get disappointed again and again and again, and maybe some of us have gotten to the place where we just live in disappointment. So here are some strategies for overcoming this bondage. Listen, the people of God, the Hebrew people, had expectations of Moses. The disciples had expectations of Jesus. And let me just tell you, Jesus didn't give a rip about the expectations that the people had. He did what he needed to do. And when he was questioned about certain things, he answered. Jesus, I had this expectation that you would tell her to help me. Well, here's the truth. Yikes. So here, here are the strategies. Number one, choose discomfort over resentment. Ouch. Because it's uncomfortable to go to somebody and say, here's my expectation. Here's when you, when you did that or said that, that, this is what it felt like. Oh, it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. One of my favorite authors, Brene Brown, her call is to be awkward and brave. So choose discomfort over resentment. 
Because if you don't choose the uncomfortable process, eventually you will build a resentment. Because guess what? They will not fulfill your expectation. Promise. Okay, let's just do a quick poll. And, and if you're sitting with your spouse, just know that if your spouse raises their hand, they're not talking about you, okay? All right, so here's the thing. Has, has anybody ever expected something from someone and it didn't come true and you were upset about it? <laughs> yeah. Strategy number two, have a hard conversation. And that obviously goes to choose discomfort. Tell someone what you want them to do. Crazy. Ask for the favor. Be vulnerable. This is going to feel weird for me to say this to you. This is, this is going to cause me to have to go to some deep place where maybe there's some childhood things I'm working through for me to say this, but I just want to tell you that I trust that you are, are safe with my feelings. I, I need this from you. Oh my gosh, I, I had no idea. Live with open hands. We've talked about that here before, haven't we? That everything that God sends our way lands on these open hands. And the things that we grab a hold of and try to hold on to with all of our might are the things that slip through like oil. But the things that remain in our hands are the things that God entrusts us with and we become stewards of those things. So we live in a posture that says, God, I'm living with open hands. Free of expectation. Fill my hands, Lord, and I will steward what you send me. Open a dialogue instead of an account where wrongs are stored. And you say, well, sometimes it's difficult to open a dialogue with somebody because they make me feel like I'm crazy. That's fair. That's going a little deeper. That might need a little more help. But if you've, if you've walked through these strategies and things begin to get better, know that there's a process for that. But if you're constantly gaslit or if you're constantly dismissed, that's a bigger issue. That's a bigger issue. Here's some more strategies. No is a complete sentence. Here's... Here, here's something I'd really, really appreciate if you would do, and I, I'm going to line it out. Da, da, da. What do you think? No. What? No. But why? Because no came out of my mouth. You don't owe it to anyone to tell them why. Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's private. You can tell if you want, but you don't owe it. So here's what I really want you to walk away with, and we're going we're to close up here in a second. Here's what makes an expectation valid. So expectations ruin relationships if they're outside of these boundaries. You ready? When an expectation is conscious, conscious, it's valid. In other words, how many have ever been in a situation where you're like, oh, they didn't do what I thought they would do, and I didn't even know that I had a thought that they would do that. But I'm kind of mad about that. But you had no idea that you were going to be mad if they did it because you had no idea that you were upset about it. But then when they did it, you're like, whoa, that's not what I was expecting. So to hold somebody to an expectation, it has to be conscious. They're realistic. Some of y'all expect the impossible out of those you're in relationship with. A valid expectation is, is, is realistic. We might need to come back down to earth. I expect you to handle me 
and talk to me the way that somebody who's been through six years of therapy would talk to me. That's unrealistic. They're still working through their daddy issues. Now, you can speak that expectation and you can work those problems, but if you expect it all to be just perfect, I, I think we need to come back down to earth. The third thing, it's spoken. We speak it. We say it. Here's an expectation that I have. The next time you walk by the trash can, take it out for me. It's not about you guys, but that trash, we even set the, tra- we have one of those trash cans where you put, you, you do the foot and it opens. And so we actually take the can out and set it on top. And so the can is like, like four feet off the ground. And, and then it starts to climb the wall. And I can walk right by it and not even see it. And you're like, how is that possible? I don't know. I just know that it is. Would you turn around and pick up that giant steaming dog pile that you just walked right by? How did you not smell it? I don't know. Right? It's spoken. You actually break through someone's distracted attention and say, this is what I'm wanting for you, from you. So there's where we get back to the brain science of attention. In order to break through someone's distracted attention, you have to speak clearly. This is what I'm needing from you. And to go even a step further, even incorporating the language like this, when you say that, I feel this. So my expectation is that you wouldn't say that anymore. And the last one is that they're agreed upon. I expect you to do X, Y, and Z. I refuse. Guess what? It's not a valid expectation. So what are they are? What are they again? They're conscious, they're realistic, they're spoken, and they're agreed upon. How different is that than what we walk through day to day? How different is that than what maybe we see folks in the Bible expecting of leadership? How different is that than what we see in the world around us? We have an opportunity to be uncomfortable rather than resentful. But here's what you can't expect. You do have the right to expect God to never leave you or forsake you. It may not feel like he's there, but he is. He's in the middle of these disasters that you're facing. He's in the middle of this destructive feeling that you feel. He's in the middle of the argument that you're facing with your spouse or your friends or your your, your church or whatever it is for you. He's in the middle of it and he's walking with you through it. And when you feel that giant emotion rise up within you, he's saying, what does that say? What is it saying to you? What is that emotion saying to you in that moment? Listen, emotional intelligence is far more important than intelligent intelligence. How many people have we known in our lives who are really, really smart, but they just don't understand life? So when we talk about emotionally healthy, you're like, oh, emotions lie. No, they don't. Emotions are that thing that God places in our lives to say, what does that say about you? My best buddy has a sign on, in, on his dashboard. It's not about them. Because he knows his reactions aren't about them, it's about him. And it's the same for me. What does my reaction say about me? What does my anger, because they didn't fulfill my expectation, say about me? What is my feeling of despair because somebody didn't do what I wanted them to do or believe that what I think is God's will is supposed to be God's will? What do I do with that? What does that say about me? And am I willing to have deep conversations about that? We do have the right to expect God to never leave us or forsake us. But there's, there's different ways we look at God, and I'm closing with this. 
Some of us see God as an epidural. What does an epidural do? It numbs you, right? From a certain point, you're numb from the waist down, right? Some of us expect God to be an epidural. God, come into this situation and, and, and take all of the feeling away from me. Just take care of it. Just do it. How many of us? Come on. God, just fix it. Fix it. But see, Jesus is more of a midwife. He sits by you. He holds your hand. And he says, push. Push. But it hurts, I know. You're growing. You're becoming. You're going to recognize next time you're in a situation that's similar. Hush. I got you. I'm here with you. Focus. Focus on me. And you will get through it. That's what we can expect from God. Everything else, back to the drawing board. If relationships are that important, then I believe they are. The Bible is very clear about it, right? Community, caring for one another. If the world will know us by how we love one another, then if we don't take a few minutes and understand how important it is for us to have solid relationships and the work that we must do to figure those things out and make them work, what are we doing? What are we doing? Father, would you clearly hold the hand of anyone in this room right now who's so confused by how things are going? Would you help them? Would you give them a voice? Help them to be brave. Equip them with your Holy Spirit to to speak the words that they need to speak, to say the things that they need, to be awkward, to be brave, and to know that you're gonna be there with them, not deadening the pain, but walking with them as they go through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we enter back into worship? Let us become more aware. 
expectation that you might have had is that I, I would stop preaching early enough to get out of here by 1130. <laughs> Sorry. I want, I want you to know that, that um, we're here for you. The staff, the team, we're here for you. We care about you. We want to honor you and walk you through some difficult times. And the people around you care about you and they want to do the same. We have an opportunity to do that right now at the courtyard. Um, the Asiago cheese bagel saved me one, okay, if you get down there early for me. But I want to I bless you out the door, if I can. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. If God is for you, who can be against you? If, if God is on your side, whom shall you fear? May you be like a tree that's planted by rivers of living water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf will not wither. And whatsoever you do unto God, it shall prosper. God bless you guys. Have the best week ever. We'll see you down in the courtyard.